This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The following cold open is six and a half minutes long. If you'd rather get right into the narrative, you can use your podcast application or browser player to skip ahead six and a half minutes. If you have a problem with that, bear in mind that it was originally 16 and a half minutes before editing. So try being grateful for once, instead of an entitled little shit. If you still have shit to say, you can send all complaints to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, care of threat. Have you heard the? Uh, I mean, I don't. I I don't even know how to describe this. There's a duet, a posthumous duet between Scatman and Lou Bega, <laughs> called huh? Scatman and Hatman. Oh, oh. well, wait. Well, oh, the no. Hatman. Wait a minute. To the Google Mobile. The Hatman is like a known cryptid. Does I'm, that mean Lou Bega is the hat Scott man? Scatman and the hat man, the official music video released two years ago. Uh, wow, we are coming in swinging. Con- Connor Doyle sent this to me, and he I've never seen a man driven closer to insanity. And I'm the hat man. <laughs> is that something that we called Lou Bega? I don't I've recall. Never, I don't think so. Calling Lou Bega the the only, like, you said Scatman and hat man, and I was like, well, process of elimination. Lou Bega has to be the hat man, but I've never known him as the hat man. <laughs> Between the two of them, the one whose name is Scatman and another guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what, what, like, it would have been way funnier if it was like, I'm the Scatman and. I'm the guy from Mambo Number Five. You remember the one thing that I did that everybody knows? What if they like edited whenever he says Scatman, so that he said, "I'm the Hat Man." (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, the engineers were doing too much on that track. (laughs) Oh, someone had. If someone was going to do this, not to say that anyone needed to do this. I feel like it's appropriate that Lou Bega is the person to have done yeah. this. Mm. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fault anybody for making most things. Like <laughs> nobody got hurt. No, and, yeah, make your, make your collab. Whatever. Sing with whichever dead person you want, <laughs> and try to turn y- the connection between you and that dead person into a thing. Mm. Into a brand. It is the posthumous angle of it that makes it yeah. weirdly uh-huh. surreal. It's like how there's supposed to be like an unreleased Aaliyah album coming out, and all the collaborators are men, and everybody is like, "Wait, hold on." All the collaborators are Scatman. Weirdly beautiful. Different Hatman hats. <laughs> Just the idea of like, yeah, Scatman and Hatman. I'm turning myself into a duo with this person who is dead. That's weird. That's weird. Isn't that a a reasonable facet of describing Sky Jacks being there's a a degree of uh, Travis Mago having decided to turn himself into a duo of Captain Oromar? Where the the Scatman and the Hatman? There you go. Oh no. Okay, I will. I will go back and say that i i had to google when the scat man died uh because i didn't know mm-hmm. off the top of my head and that was 20 years before this song came out Oof, and that, 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 
that kind of is like, well, that doesn't make much sense. Like, why? Mm. Why? There is no wait. amount of Monica in your life that can alleviate that crime. <laughs> There's no amount of Monica. So, 20 years ago, but when did Mambo Number Five come out? Uh, 99. 99. So feasibly, uh, the scat man could have enjoyed Mambo Number Five. Because it was everywhere. Mm-hmm. This is like one of those things time. where like Cleopatra and Abe Lincoln were alive at the same time. Or, <laughs> <you know. laughs> yeah, I felt like the most generous interpretation of this actually is that uh, Lubega decided that he looks really good in a hat <laughs> and is like trying to make that his thing. And he's like, how do I get it to stick? I know. I'll make a song. <laughs> And I'll just capitalize on the the hat man, the scat man, to do that, and I'll be the hat man, and everybody will love it. Uh, he try- it this song is literally an attempt for him to give himself his own nickname. <laughs> That's yeah. what he wants. All right, we can we can get to work whenever we want to, but I'm gonna look up what Lou Bega's 2013 track was. Oh no, huh? this, this like, is the wow. longest cold if, open if we, in history. <laughs> In, don't, in don't if we're like we need it. to make up a we need to make up a funny little lad. And somebody said, oh, the hat man. You'd just be like, mm, okay, all right. Well, that's, see, the, the, that's the other part of this is the hat man is like a, a well-known, like, cryptid sleep paralysis monster <laughs> that, that attacks Yeah, people. Lou Bega. <laughs> yeah, that's Lou Bega you now. You just talked oh, to the hat man. I looked up Lou the Bega. hat man. The picture in this cryptid wiki is basically a silhouette of Lou Bega. <laughs> okay. okay, hold on. Hold oh, on. wow. Oh, this is. Why is the hat? The, on, the only fedora? difference is that he does have a collar, and Lou Bega famously does not yes. have a collar. <laughs> you know, I will say, in Mr. Bega's defense, I pull. I just googled Lou Bega in uh-huh. images, and most of these images, he's wearing a hat. I usually mm, wear that's... a shirt. I'm not the shirt man. <laughs> yeah, shirt not, man. we don't call you that to your face. But anytime we're old oh. short sleeves over there, <laughs> Johnny Shirt Waist O'Mara, we call him. Okay, yeah, he is. He is almost exclusively wearing hats. Brandy. He grows out of the old hat. He scuttles into a new one, like a oh, <laughs> <laughs> all the Lou Vegas lineups, so they each can find their own hat that. Fits each other, so they don't have to look. Oh, yeah. What really are the chances one. that Lou Bega is in a in a Mario Odyssey situation where he is <laughs> not in control? By the hat. Yeah, he is that. <laughs> mm. It's just some dude, Ralph Ralph Scottsworth, and just Lou Bega the hat has possessed him. <laughs> <laughs> Lou Bega looks great without a hat. He does, but here's the thing: he looks great with the hat too. That's true. Yeah, and if if you look great with a hat, you might as well wear a hat because mm. no one else is doing it. Okay, guys, this is 16 minutes at this point. Mm. Casey's <laughs> just going to have to be challenged to somehow make this not a 16 minute opening to the show. I think there is nothing wrong with 16 minutes of discussion of Lubega to get people work. ready for, um, you know, s- sky pirate role playing. <laughs> The hand in hand. Hat in hat.
So the next up in the initiative order is Jonnet. I guess if we're going to the silos, I feel like there's probably some kind of splitting up that, yeah, I think as like we round the round the entrance to the silo, John, it's going to like double tap Douglas on his shoulder and he's just going to kind of like point to one side of the the building. And I think his intent is to just be like, hey, I'm going to take the other entrance that I know about, whether that's like the back entrance or like there's maybe like a a small window that he's like been a- always been able to like climb into. He's going to do that for this as well. As we're coming up to it, should I roll any kind of like perception or do we know that we're in combat? I, I, I think like you, it, it is probably not hard to, I, I think y'all, y'all are probably close enough to hear the gunshot yeah. that went at Oromar okay. in the distance. Mm-hmm. All right. Well then, yeah, we already know what we're, some idea of like, we're going into a hostile situation. He's going to tap, tap, shoulder, gesture, and then he's going to. I know how y'all know where to go. You went back f- to the farm. Let's cut back. You went back to the farm. Bees, I think Douglas and Hip, you know, working so close with each other over the years, having this like kind of hidden adventurers past together, you get back to the farm, like kind of confused, taking a lot of information. Somebody who was watching the, the Griffins is now dead. Mm-hmm. You've got the Durf family who are out trying to round up the errant birds. You're dealing with a lot, processing a lot. And there is just a sign at the door that would have been left by hip, not a written note, but a sign to let you know something is going down. What, what did Hip leave? And I think that is the thing that drove you to break out the Tonfas. Mm. Ooh, ooh. It's a red feather symbol, but mm. in the middle of it is an emblem that, that once Douglas sees that emblem is what just flips that switch from, you know, regular Douglas, you know, Douglas Kessler to go back and, you know, ch- Everything's about to go down, and I think Danger Douglas. Yeah, <laughs> Danger Dark Douglas. Wing Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm trying to think of what that symbol would be because it would be the symbol of the ship he served on before all of this. Ooh, yeah, yeah. So it'll be like whatever whatever your ship's flag mm-hmm. was. Actually, ooh, wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, I, it's pretty simple, but I'm, I'm thinking maybe even something as simple as just like the red feather uh, insignia, but with a stone in the middle of it. But that wouldn't I can't think of how to tie that back to uh, his 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 old life. Like it's something that this one symbol, like this one thing hit put on the door is like, hey, it's all going to hell. Like worst case scenario, code red kind of. That's that's what he's relaying to uh, Douglas, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I'll go. Ahead. It feels like I I don't know. This would just like a pitch. It feels like if there was ever a moment where like y'all take down Red Feather folks, there may be like like a cloth emblem that they just have or a marking like a mm-hmm. small size of their flag, and then it feels like I don't know. It could be like a show of like hey, I've taken down this many red feathers where it's like you take this and then like you either stab it with a, with like your knife or it's like s- split in the middle. 
And it's like, that's like a clear, like, I've done this. And to see that on your door frame, that would only come from hip. And it would. Yeah, I think I've got it. So y'all used to serve aboard this ship. You went into hiding, you know, after the declaration of ownership to keep the heat down on your family and whatnot. So you cut up the flag of this ship that used to be you know, one that that was shared between you and the crew. Mm -hmm. Everyone has a piece of it. So Hip retained a piece, you retained a piece, like all of the various crew that either scattered to the winds or went up to join uh, uh, other ships. This is probably a tradition that happens when a ship is intentionally rechristened or or a crew is dissolved. It's probably an older tradition because it kind of predates the declaration of ownership and all of this. So you each retained a piece of it. And yeah, because you like sort of got on the edges and you were resisting the red feathers for a while, there are probably red stitches, like little X's that have been stitched into it. Mm-hmm. And it is just like there on the door. So I think in an instant, Douglas knows that the feathers are here, that, you know, something smells to high heaven. Yeah. And the thing that, like, you know, you sort through in your mind, like, what, why would the feathers be here? What have they been poking around for? Of course, it's the recipe. Of Mm -hmm. course, it's the silo. And of course, Hip wouldn't wait for you to return before going there to sort the problem himself. Yeah. The piece of flag kind of just stabbed into the door with a dagger, I think would just be like, hey, this is going down. I'm not sure I can handle it but I'm going to do what I can to buy you time kind of thing. So it's like a, hey, DEFCON 1 kind of shit going on. Hopefully you make it in time. This is just all bets are off. Get to it. Stop it. There's there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So, yeah, I would have seen that, and that's what, like, because I think, yeah, I think we would have gone by the house first to make sure, you know, see if anybody was there, see if anybody saw anything, saw that, like, John and I probably got off the uh, Griffin. I saw that and just turned around with just this stone-cold expression on my face and just told him to get back on and we have to go. And then that's when we got back, started heading towards the silos. And then I jumped off to grab that lockbox and then, you know, suited up and headed over to the silos. All right. So, yeah, we, we have this moment where, you know, there is a gunshot. You're in the night like you can just barely see the, the faintest edges of, of the, the flare from the barrel lighting up the night. Jonnet kind of sort of like it's a, almost a slick and casual thing like he taps your shoulder and then falls back off of the griffin into the grass to where you you can't see him this is somebody who has moved silently and hastily in dangerous situations many many times before there there might be a a, a moment of of like fatherly thinking of like you know i tried to make a life where he would never have to learn to move like that but, yeah, but here he is anyway. <laughs> yeah, the, when he taps Douglas on the shoulder and and does the motion, Douglas slows the uh, Griffin down just a little bit. You know, still in that you know trying to the protective thing, and then Johnnet just slides off, does a little roll, and then essentially vanishes. And he's just gonna like 
look back and think just like you said just like i tried to make i tried to protect him from all this but even in doing so you know he's still very still skilled at what he does and you know there's there's a sadness that he had to get this good but also a moment of being proud in him that he is you know like that happens for a second and then his brain kicks back over to the issue at hand and you just see him just snap the reins and yeah and woof head off with the griffin towards the issue all right so so jonnet had the initiative so we're gonna travel with john at first mm-hmm. yeah you said you were moving around to the back of the silo to like try and sneak in i think that there's like a low window comparatively like to the the entrance and i think that was always something that when john it was feeling like sneaky as a kid he would like you know very clunkily like hoist himself up and in to the window this time i think john it we see like a low shot of like feet moving quickly like si- like quietly towards this this window that's kind of like center and then you see like feet 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 and then you just see like john it leap forward and i think uh if if i got a roll for this great but i want to like leap forward have some earth like rise up to meet his foot and essentially like double jump and just like clear into the window. I love the double jump. <laughs> that that is so good. So like I guess what I am picturing here is like Jonnet is running and you like literally just pull a rock up from the ground to have it meet your feet with like enough force that you can push off of it. Yeah, and, I think and jump. It's like running, running, running and then like it's like skip, skip jump it's essentially a triple jump in mario and then like he's like and then as he's like in the air another piece of earth like rises up meets his foot and then like he just like uses that to like propel him through the window there's a lot going on with this role what i'll say is like Jonnet has gotten so familiar with manipulating the earth at this time that I don't think we're going to ask for a bespoke magic roll from this. Okay. What I think is I want you to spend two strain as though you were casting a spell Can and do. then make a coordination roll. Oh, hello. Ba-ba-bum. Okay. Against uh, what? I am going to say, I'm going to say that it's... <sighs> I think we're going to go average with two black dice okay can i I feel like please petition can i petition for a blue dice because this is like he's doing something that he's done many times as a a younger jonnet okay 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 so there's a lot going on here jonnet would when he was younger scramble up into this window a bunch of times but now he's older he's stronger He's using magic to assist him. The only things that have really changed are, you know, there's a lot of pressure on the situation that he's trying to do it silently. And that, like, I'm going to bet that Jonnet has even in idle times, like, practiced this this double jump move before. But you're you're doing it at night with, with this pressure on it. I think that's where the black dice are coming from. So I will give you a blue die okay. for this. It's a lot, a lot move, moving into this. Okay. All right. So that's going to so that's going to be three successes and 
two threats. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here is what happens. You sail into this window easily, and you move in very, very silently, too. This is a thing where you could have pulled this off in a way where no one would have noticed and you would have grabbed on to rafters that that have been there since you were little. And you used to, like, I guess, follow your dad and and watch him work from, from the rafter sometimes. He would work on the Kessler family secret recipe that he didn't let anyone know about, not even his kids. But, of course... Nothing can escape the notice of adventurous sorts like Jonathan and Zana, who did follow him and did sneak into the silo to watch. Now you do this as an adult. The threat, I think, is that the rafters are not the same as they used to be. Mm. Uh, <laughs> they're different. This isn't going to be the thing where you're, you're definitely not noticed, but your situation is more precarious than you would like it to be. What What is that precariousness? I think... It's probably Jonnet double jumps, soars through the window, and in a in a kind of similar bit to what would I guess be minutes ago in this story, like he kind of overshoots it, and like he where there should have been a rafter, it's now just like maybe it's been broken down to just like pipes to like repair it or replace it, and so there's mm-hmm. nothing necessarily to like stand on. So he's got to quickly just like he reaches out, grabs like one of these pipe supports and is kind of like dangling in the in the room. It's it's he's quiet, but he's also kind of like dangling in a spot where he thought that there would be like floor. And now he's kind of like got to scramble around, look around and be like, how has this room changed in the, the year that I haven't been here? And like, how do we get around from there? So, yeah, I, I think what, what that'll be, I'm just going to say, those, it was two threats. We're going to use the rules as kind of they're written. That's two more strain. Okay. Is you just had to land in a position that, you know, uh, is requiring a lot more stress and effort than, than maybe it should. Great. We are now going to cut back to the red feathers. Sharp bones jut out from his left hand, and the captain smiles. My turn. I think the men who are with with uh, Maitland are horrified. <laughs> Maitland, like, d- cautiously takes a step back and goes, "Always, always, there's there's some wrinkle or something like that. I hate working in these conditions." And he will whistle. It is a kind of a high-pitched whistle that, that makes your ears buzz a bit. And with that, the griffins turn. And they turn towards Oromar and go in with a lunge. Mm. So, Oromar, you are being attacked by a huge owl. Cool. Uh, <laughs> they're engaged with me, yeah? They will be moving into engagement. They're, they're going to be, like, charging at you. Mm-hmm. When they get engaged, please make them have a, a, I guess, a tier one fear check. It's just low, so they're not likely to go I'm going to say that will but, uh, affect probably the people. Mm, I don't know that it's going to work on the owls. care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Living guy, dead guy, just a guy. 
Nonetheless. Just a, guy. Just a pecking target. Yeah. What was that blaster sound? Uh, that is the sound of the, the dice rolling. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Mm. Okay. These owls, I'm, I'm going to treat their, their attacks as together because to do uh-huh. two of these attacks, I think, would be excessive. We have two successes and one advantage. So this is a, a pretty, pretty hefty attack against you. Uh-huh. I will say you have 10 damage coming at you Ooh. right now, Ormar. Okay. You are someone who is... You're prepared to mix it up in a melee with swords. You can kind of take bullet hits and and, and laugh it off. But a group mauling is uh, a lot. <laughs> yeah, organs don't matter that much to you. Fluid shock, I don't even know, is a real thing that can affect your body anymore. Mm. But big beaks that kind of tear off pieces, that'll get you into trouble. Mm. Well, that's 10 damage, huh? Mm-hmm. So and that's you can soak by four. Yep. So that is then six, uh, meaning that I take six strain. Sorry, th- yeah, I take six strain, I think, unless there's any other modifiers that uh I, I I can't remember if it goes to wounds first. I believe it goes to wounds first. Oh, okay. That's it goes fine. to wounds um, when you run out of wounds, then you're kind of running on strain, and that's ah, because it's that's that way around, not the other way around. I, I I'm, I'm pretty sure that's how it works, and I do not care to learn I mean, the rules to be of the honest, game that we're going to have to change off of anyway. Because I've already taken some strain damage, so taking it to my wounds as a separate resource is perfect. Love that for me. Cool. I have eight wounds remaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and remember, when you are out of wounds, you are out of of usable body and you will probably have to if you're going to continue to fight fight as a ghost so I'd have to possess something else and also yeah. if my strain hits zero i just i'm also ejected from my body so mm-hmm. running on either of those to zero is bad but that's what mm-hmm. makes this interesting <laughs> so yeah owls like lunge at you they spread their wings they let out a pitched down barn owl hoot which i'm sure is horrifying Mm. And Ormar, like, part of you was, like, really working the intimidation angle. How do you control a situation where you are outnumbered, where your body, like, damage still matters in a mm. sense. Like, you don't want your body to be too broken up to work. But so, so you do need to turn the fact that you are outnumbered against your opponents. But you can afford to take a little damage. And in doing that, you took this bullet. And you did lean yourself up like a Dracula rising, (laughs) which is a great intimidation move, but not one that sort of left you in tune with your reflexes in the way that they should. So when you are suddenly facing, oh, a gigantic owl is coming at you because of the way your spine was, because of the way that you like had to like, I am now focusing entirely on my back muscles and I haven't pre-programmed this, but I can pull these threads here and this here and whatnot. You're like, oh crap, I forgot how to work the feet right now. There's too many things that I'm working at once. And so the owl grabs you. You feel the beak press down hard into your shoulder. You feel the other owl come in and grab at your arm. Obviously, they don't tear you into pieces because you do manage to like sort of reset your control of yourself. And I think especially because you have this feather weave jacket, you know, you're able to like 
pull out because there are just threads in there that are not going to be severed by these beaks mm, um, and, and sort of still engaged with the owls, uh, but but you've spun out of the, the situation where you were about to be torn apart by them. Mm, mm. Yeah, I think Oromar, rather than trying to balance himself like a normal human, is desperately flinging limbs in the way to block attacks. Uh, one of them, it catches the beak around an arm, and he manages he's flung into the air for a little bit as, you know, the he can feel the sinews in his arm are starting to sever, but uh, he's like, that's fine, I can work with that, as he uh, lands very unceremoniously back on the ground again, I think prone or face forward he doesn't land a neat in any way but he's kind of tossed around by these birds like a ragdoll for a bit (laughs) (laughs) with that maitland like calls back to the other soldiers who are definitely intimidated by orimar and will have to make fear checks Mm -hmm. in trying to deal with him okay i'm gonna give them a black die because of some of the situation that you've set up Mm -hmm. i'm gonna turn down the volume on this this stupid app. Beep beep. Noises. Uh, more noises, okay. please. Turn the noises up, please. You want you want the volume up? <laughs> I, up, I but also I need more. I need more different noises. Just okay. They they do uh, have one success. So what what happens? Maitland turns back to them and goes, "Not on your own time. Who knows if there's going to be another colorful character who springs out of the night? I would like to be in bed at a reasonable hour." And with, with that, like the people, Janet, who you can see beneath you, who are like packing up, loading different boxes and things and bags onto a cart, just sort of taking anything that they could see as being important and and dumping it onto like this cart that looks like it would leash up to a griffin of some kind. They're just getting ready to pick this place clean. Hey heroes, it's James, your Game Master, and welcome to the mid-roll. Let's get things started with a radvertisement. Heroes, this radvertisement comes to us from the Stillfleet Core Rulebook on Kickstarter. The Stillfleet Core Rulebook is live on Kickstarter right now. As heard on the actual play podcast Fun City, Stillfleet is a new sci-fi RPG with unique, simple, and highly flexible mechanics, and an unforgettable game world. You play as Void Miners, workers for the company aboard an alien space station, seeking to recover lost technologies, subvert the ventures you're sent out on, and survive. The politically inflected design of the game leads to epic and zany stories. You can back the long-awaited Stillfleet Core rulebook on Kickstarter today, or check it out on the Fun City Actual Play podcast. So hurry up and get this professionally designed book and fight the company. A huge thank you to the folks over at Stillfleet for sponsoring us this week, and I hope everyone who's interested goes to check it out. You can do that by searching for Stillfleet on Kickstarter or by following the link in our show notes. I just want to remind everyone that our guests for this arc are Big Bees and Rashawn Nadine Scott. Bees is a streamer, and you can find his channel over at twitch.tv slash big underscore bees, spelled B-E-A-Z. And Rashawn is one of the stars of Mystery County Monster Hunters Club, the newest one-shot network podcast. If you like Skyjacks or Neo Scum, you will find a lot of that energy over at Mystery County Monster Hunters Club. 
Heroes with Summer coming to an end, if you are looking for a nice summer read, I recommend checking out a book from the Ultimate RPG Guide series. Those are written by me. They are role-playing companion books full of exercises, advice, and mini-games to help spice up your own role-playing at home. I've got two character backstory guides for expanding and deepening the backstories of characters you bring to the table, the world-building guide to help you develop settings, and the gameplay guide to help sharpen those RPG skills. You can find those wherever books are sold, from all major online retailers, from big brick-and-mortar stores, and your favorite indie brick-and-mortar, or your friendly local game store. For those last two, be sure to call ahead, because they might have to special order them. Before we get back to the show, I want to take a moment to thank all of our backers on Patreon. Without you, this show would not be possible, and all of its offshoots would not be possible. In fact, uh, pretty much every show on the OneShot Network would struggle to exist without that Patreon support. You pay our performers, our editors, the entire cast and crew that bring you these shows, and we could not be more grateful. And if you can't get enough of the shows, Patreon's going to be great for you because it gives you behind-the-scene information about how we make them, including discussions about arcs that we've run and bonus narrative content. On the heels of the season finale of Courier's Call, we're going to have some bonus episodes starring Bobby Jean and Braith Ashworth, which should be going up very soon. And all you need to do is back at the $5 level or more. Now then, with all of that out of the way, let's get back to the show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. this i would like to turn over to douglas douglas let's get a perception check from you real quick and i believe your perception was two green and a yellow all right two green and a yellow i am sorry i have 50 different windows up from the variety of tumblr art i've been looking at so <laughs> please i can't remember if we i don't think <laughs> i made a character sheet for you so um yeah. there's probably no character sheet I, I i do know that we established a perception check for you because you used it before mm-hmm. the attack and it was either two yellows and a green or two green and a yellow and i simply cannot remember because again my child's face. It's okay. Sort of. Just, you know, we'll just Occupy do two it. greens and two yellows just to, you know, meet in the middle so everybody's happy, you know. Oh, wow. Oh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. That's good. <laughs> you know, I just, so, so we don't have to choose, you know. And we'll throw in some blue dice because you have been a bird. I appreciate it. Yes. A different bird, but still a bird, you know. Yeah, uh, mm, mm, I, I did like that very much. So we'll, we'll go with two yellows and a green. Okay. This is going to be high tension situation. I'm going to make this a hard check. Okay. And hard or, you is. Know, okay. Three. We're actually average with a black die. Average with oh. a black die. And average is two purple? Mm-hmm. Two purple, yes. Oh, oh, oh. All right. And come on, big money. That is going to be three successes and one threat. Oh, perfect. 
then you notice like you're taking in this situation old instincts that feel like they have collected heavy layers of dust as you have transitioned your life from a pirate adventurer to father and community leader and farmer. You you pull these instincts out of your past and take in the situation. The light is low. There are some dim lanterns. There is the moon in the sky. But you look around for what would be most important to you in this situation. How many opponents am I facing? What sort of threats are there? And are the people who are important to me okay? And you notice, as it wouldn't be difficult for most people to notice, Mm -hmm. exactly where Hip went down. Yeah. So you can see Hip there in the grass. You can also see this fight, you know, kind of moving around. Ormar, the man that you nearly killed earlier this evening, is currently grappling with some owls. You can see this fanciful red feather gentleman wearing this sparkly coat, who I believe you'll have recognized as I think he has probably approached you in mm-hmm. different ways to try and seize the asset that belongs to this community that is your secret recipe. What do you do? Mm. And so approaching this, Oromar is obviously like in battle against them, right? It's not like a weird situation mm-hmm. where I can't really tell when I get up. Yeah, there's. it's completely obvious that Oromar is not on their side. Okay. I, I think the the red the owls have some sort of red feather accoutrement. On okay, them, you okay. know. And then the other question I want to know is how big is the griffin I'm riding on? I am gonna say like seven to eight feet. You know, it's a big rideable chicken. Okay. So then I want to do something crazy. What I want to do is I ride up on this scene of Oromar being attacked by these red feather birds and from what I can tell either jumped in to protect Hip or was fighting with Hip when Hip went down. Mm -hmm. So what I'm going to do is as Douglas is riding in on this chicken is going to kind of hop up on the chicken and make a series of clicks and whistles which the chicken knows is for like this kind of maneuver that he's been going over with the, just the riding possibly combat griffins that that he's had to like protect the farm and this is this is this is something that he's done in order to clear fences or walls in order to either in pursuit of rescuing something that's been taken off the farm or to hunt down predators to make sure they don't come back to the farm but this is a this is something that instead of like getting them to a certain area and scaring them off this is to get them you know not to let obstacles get between them kind of thing so once he hops on the back and makes those clicks and whistles then he is going to leap in front of the griffin and he's gonna kind of like jump and turn so that when he lands he's facing the griffin and He's going to put his arm out and brace it with his other hand. And what the griffin is going to do is jump 
and kind of just start flapping. I know it's not gonna be able to like soar or fly or anything, but this is kind of to reduce the weight. And as soon as it lands on his hand, he wants to throw back to kind of push the griffin forward because it's also like a surprise tactic. So the, the griffin's just gonna fly towards, or I guess be tossed towards the birds attacking Oromar. And then he's going to, once he does that, turn and uh, keep running towards him. Okay. Okay. Boy, I'm, I am trying to envision. I'm going to open up a character sheet. I, I feel like this is a thing where some different stats, uh, this feels like a coordination, but mm -hmm. based on presence instead of brawn as it usually would be. Mm-hmm. I am going to say this is a yellow and a green okay. against average because literally no one expects a giant chicken to be thrown at them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. Even in a world where giant chickens exist, <laughs> I, I have to imagine your ability to anticipate that is low. All right. So yellow and a green versus two purple. Yep. Sweet. And boop, boop. That is a success and a threat. Perfect. What happens is you pull off this slick move and what this is supposed to do is provide, you know, you cover, throw chaos into the situation to allow everybody who is on your side the ability to like regroup themselves and seize advantage of the surprise and, and give you the cover that you need to go check on hip. Mm -hmm. I think... In response, one of the red feathers drops their lantern, it hits the ground, and a fire starts up. So that's a little bit of, of danger that is added into this situation, but you can go over to check on hip and like you've got the reasonable assurance that you will be able to do what you need to do in order to like help hip out i think we'll get to that next turn i would like to end this with travis and gable <laughs> i kind of feel especially riding on the legs of a gigantic turkey it is <laughs> it is actually not hard to arrive at the situation in a timely manner who cares about relative distances and whatnot not me i don't that's boring bullshit so please describe to me the cavalry arriving as as you show up. Travis has not explained what has happened to me, what is happening at all. Well, his mouth is full, to be fair. I, I mean, as we run in, do we see any, well, we must see red feather people. I think with the fire that has started up in the grass, like you can see shimmering off like this fanciful obviously red feather designed coat it's also illuminating uh, the bodies of these barn owls which do have like the classic red leather of the i guess i'm trying to uh, imagine what you call it the equivalent like we can set off the horse girl alarm here Um, because like this is like the bridle and bit for birds in, instead of horses. I think red feathers just use like a bright red leather for that. Mm -hmm. So it's very obvious to tell like when it is one of their birds, you know, in, in a given area. So, yeah, you see these two gigantic 
owls wearing red feather gear in addition to this man in the fanciful coat. I think the rest of the scene is a little too chaotic for you to be able to take in the other four red feather people. I guess it's three red feather people as one of them did die, huh? And we (laughs) sort of found their body in the grass as established by the story we've told thus far. Okay, then I I would like to just sort of try and trample the the nearest person I see on my way in. Uh, okay. <laughs> and Gable's on your back, like, go what turkey. What is happening? <laughs> I'm I'm telling this turkey to do this. This turkey uh, uh, is. <laughs> What I'm going to do here, Travis, the understanding is you are a giant turkey, which means you're obviously stronger than Travis would normally be. Uh huh. I don't think you are used to having a big body like this. So I want you to roll a brawl check with your brawl stat, but we're going to add five to the damage if you manage to hit. Okay. Because you're a big turkey. I am a big turkey. Also, while I pull up the dice, I I do want to request that instead of red leather, it is yellow leather, so that when they do their vocal warm-ups, they can say red feather, yellow leather. Uh, You know what we're going to do? We are going to compromise and call it lavender leather. Lavender leather. Red feather, lavender leather. Okay. (laughs) Red feather, yellow leather, lavender leather. It's all the same. That sounds... It's a really inefficient... You said a brawl check? Yes. Okay. And what's the difficulty? Difficulty is average, two purple. Okay. And do I get, I do I get anything besides my straight brawl? Maybe a blue because I ran so fast. I can't. I am gonna give you like, and Johnny, I want you to know you're prying this out of my fingers. <laughs> I'm gonna give you a blue die because I think the general chaos that bees introduced to the scene. And the fact that you're a big turkey kind of emerging uh, out of nowhere, it's surprising enough. Actually, Johnny, I hate this. Mm. (laughs) I hate that I have just said that and I'm now forced to give you two blue dice Mm. because, yes, a surprise attack in this nature is like it's kind of perfect. There's kind of no way I can not give this to you (laughs) and it makes me so mad. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and allow it because that does give me one success and one advantage. Uh, okay, okay, perfect. So consider this man trampled. Squished. Squished? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the lady and you're the trample. Shut up. I Pardon? think. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it yeah. was kind of a fun. Yeah. Yeah. Walk. You heard it here, It was a walk to get there. No, I Look, like Guys. It. It's a walk to get there, but we're talking about trampling, so walking is kind of involved. James D'Amato on record pro-dog trampling. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I've always said. Do you need me to get a clean take of that? Uh, (laughs) So you've got a brawn of one, plus one for your net success, plus five for being a big turkey, that is going to be seven overall. And I now need to pull up this character's stats here. And as he tramples the red feather, he turns to Gable and says, that could have been you. What the <laughs> fuck is happening right now? <laughs> I don't know. All I know is that I remembered fighting red feathers that I didn't fight. So I assumed the captain you know, did a uh, an inception to make me come Te- here. Texted you, basically. The, the the emotional cocktail that you got 
on the other side of that is pure kind of like fight of a fight and flight kind of balance with like a hefty like cream layer on top of disdain (laughs) (laughs) so it's kind of like i'm going to kill them because they are beneath me was the the general energy that has been pumping into you spiritually (laughs) as you've been sprinting across town (laughs) i feel i feel like it's less of a text and more of like a beeper so all i get all i could get from the captain is like 911, you know, like it's like beeper code where it's like 911, come fight. Yeah. Squish. You've got like three angry emojis and the smug emoji. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is It is some texting platform that only supports emojis, which I'm so mad that is somebody of the early 2000s that never existed. That's mm. great. That really should have. What we have here is you trampling the only visible red feather who was the man in the fanciful jacket. You bowl into him. He hits the ground hard. There might be some crunching in there. He is not dead, but he has seen better days. Gable, you're now up. What you gonna do? Can I see the barn owl situation from here? Yeah, I think what kind of happens, like, you can see your collar is, like, being held in Travis's beak. So you've actually had an appreciable amount of time where you can see the flickering lights in the distance, and then the, the forms of the barn owls are the things that become most distinct first. So you have a little bit of time as Travis is running up to think of what your plan of action is. Okay. I have an idea. I'm checking my stats about it. Okay. I want Travis to throw me towards the barn owls and I grab them by their bridles and we, we just like pull them down and away from whatever it is that they're doing. Oh, shit. Okay. I'm going to offer you a bargain, a gamble, if you will, Liz. I will allow you to either roll a hard check Uh to pull these owls back and maybe just get them away from the situation or roll a daunting check. And the daunting check, should you be successful in the daunting check, you will be able to like pull these birds back and completely subdue them just because like these are red feather trained birds the red feathers have been around for around 60 years and probably owned birds for like around 40 of those 60 years you being somebody who has experience handling griffins probably know all of the commands that they generally teach and would know the command for stand down it's just a tense situation these are birds that you've never worked with before there's a lot that you would have to convey so what would you rather do what is daunting for purple my writing is pretty good so I think I'm gonna try it let's see now before you roll you could invoke a luminary for an upgrade I'm just letting you know (laughs) oh Like the Skyjack's equivalent of like you do have reward points that you could use. Oh gosh, if we can, if I can dial in real quick, if I can make like a quick email, 
to a luminary. That'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like, uh, you know, you're, you're, you can entreat a luminary, see who answers the door. God, I hope it's me. Who do we have here? The loom. Uh, oh, I remember that interesting, one. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Yeah. Oh, the themes here are pretty juicy considering the moment that you just shared with Travis. This is toil, obligation, and sacrifice. Something dear to you will ask you to pay a price. You will have to give of yourself to save what you love. What I think, the way that I would contort this (laughs) is to say, these birds are birds. Yes. At the end of the day, you know (laughs) that like they did not commit to any sort of ideology. Uh-huh. They were raised from hatchlings or stolen or whatever to be trained to follow these red feather commands. Mm-hmm. You would, as like both a person who trains birds, works with them and bonds with them on the regular, like there's, there's that to start with. But the other thing is at the core of yourself, you're an angel, right? Wrongs do mercies. You can get a advantage to this role if you will commit in the process to taking five wounds. Yeah. Duh. All right. Spend your five wound points. What do I add? Add a green to that roll. Mm. Oh, so just add a green. Yeah, just add a green. Okay. Thank you. Well, that is the success and two threats. Perfect. What this is, Gable, you indicate to Travis somehow that you wish to be tossed. And I guess that can be done visually or audibly because you can scream and shout. Travis's mouth is full with with your collar. So you're you're Bob. able to Owls, take me there. Ruby <laughs> Uh Travis tosses you in the air and we kind of see I feel like it's Gable sort of like starfished out flying through the air to grab both of the reins of these owls at the same time from the front. So they move from being like pecking down at Oromar, having him in their jaws, Oromar just barely slipping away to having this giant person flying (laughs) through the air, grab both of their reins. And what do they do? They immediately peck at you. And we see this like acrobatic, actually Liz, describe your movement of like how you are bringing these birds to heal. Uh, one of those things where like you're dealing with a two naughty ponies, the moment like, of course they're gonna bite you. Of course they're gonna like start trying to kick you. So you bring like a really tough grip on their bridles and bring like faces down to you. So they're at your level and you're looking at them in the eyes and just avoiding beaks and such, but like until you can bring both their heads as far down to the ground as possible to show that you are the dominant one. Like, hey, sh- sh- stop. Sh- sh- stop it. Stop it. Stop it. And I, I think you, you take an additional two strain because that'll account for the two threats as it was a real difficult process wrestling them as they are biting you with their extremely sharp beaks. Their sharp, powerful beaks. You, 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 you took, again, five wounds worth of damage that's a lot eh. and spent spent a lot of effort kind of wrestling them we are going back to the top of the initiative order with Jonnet. Jonnet, you can see beneath you there are three people 
who are packing up carts and whatnot. They have no idea that you are here. What do you do? I think if the camera was down at their level, I mean, they're packing up stuff, packing up stuff. We like zoom in on one guy and then we just see the the blunt end of the Kasari Gama just like, dunk. that's what I'm rolling for. Hell yeah. Okay. This is going to be an easy check. They do not know that you are here. Right. And yeah. All right. That's a success. Is that just one success? Just one success. It okay. was had a, a threat and a, an advantage, so they canceled out. Gotcha. Yeah, I feel like it's probably like a... They fall back. If it doesn't kill them, they fall out of frame, and then John, it just like hits the floor, ready to go. Yeah, I think you definitely take out that one. These, these have got to be minions. Boom. You hit them, and then like spring out, so, sort of surprising the other two. We move down in the initiative, and that is Orimar was the other person who had two successes. So Orimar, having been saved from the owls, turns to Gable. The left side of his face, the ligaments have now torn to his jaw and it's hanging loose. He stares at you and kind of gives you the nod and like, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) And then everybody's like, whose voice was that? That was just off from Oromar. In kind of being like flipped upside down, the water has entirely left his body and is no longer able to kind of speak anymore. But it doesn't matter because his jaw is no longer working, but he gives you the nod and kind of just marches off exeunt off scene to where the like red feather minions are starting to kind of pack immediately after like we see Jonet fall into frame and ready and walking from the shadows emerges Oromar. I would like to spend, I would like to use my uh, signature spell talent to use bone shaping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shape those bones, baby. In how that works, that's probably going to end up causing Travis too strain, to which I apologize. It happens. But- yeah, he like flings his arm in a whip-like motion, and it just turns into a long, snaking like spine of like and, like the bones have all changed into individual spine joints. As he now has a long whip with a hand ending in talons, mirroring Jonet's Kisarigama chain and sickle. Oh, hell yeah! What a what a creepy weapon! I mm-hmm. love it. I would like this to be a team up attack. I know that Jonet's already gone. But hey. <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah, well, I think Jonet surprised them. This is going to give you a a, a blue die because mm. Jonet has maneuvered them into a vulnerable position, and there's a lot going on. I, I feel like so much of what's happening in this combat is unexpected by mm-hmm. the Red Feathers. So we're going to go and roll all of these. It balances out to, it's a bit touch and go, but it balances out to a success and an advantage. All right. That is going to take another one of them out. How do you take them down? What does mm. it look like? So as we both pose with uh, John the Kisari Gama and uh, Orimar with the kind of like a spine whip, big text appears like in impact on the screen. <laughs> Dual tech. Road of bone and iron. (laughs) (laughs) 
and uh, I think there's just a cut to black and lots of like big slashing noises and blood splashing effects. They can only afford so much animation, so uh-huh. yeah, that makes sense. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And it, it cuts back into the room, and one of them's just torn to ribbons. Yeah, I think I think cuts back into the room. One of them like turns red and transparent, and kind of like fades to disappear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. Let's let's go to Douglas. Douglas, you are standing above Hip. Hip was shot. I am going to bet in the side, bleeding a lot, not dead, but in a very precarious position. What do you do? All right. He's going to kind of like run over and just kind of like the last like foot or so kind of just drop to his knees and slide over to, to Hip. Just kind of that, that last second, like drop down to, to make sure he's okay. He's going to grab him by the the back of the neck, lift his head up, and just kind of, like, see if he's responsive or not. Yeah, you can see Hip is having a lot of trouble breathing. Like, the the breaths are, like, shaky and unsteady. Mm. But his eyes track to meet yours. I think he, like, you can see, just looking at his side from, from now, the light of the fire and the grass, that he is bleeding a lot. Mm. Damn it, Hip. Can you go one fight without getting shot to hell without me being around? I think Hip rolls his eyes. <laughs> He's going to, uh, so I wasn't thinking of bringing any kind of healing accoutrement. Um, he was just, huh? You could do a magic. It's if we've all got magic. I, Everybody's got magic. All right. I will, I will do my best to do a magic then. One magic, please. Yes. <laughs> Sir, may I please have a single magic, if you will? <laughs> I would gladly pay you Monday for a magic today. <laughs> that is how intriguing the luminary kind of works. Uh, so what we've got here, bees, is I just want to know what kind of like healing spell does Douglas know? Mm, I mean, it's nothing grand or, or you know like like bring you back from death kind of thing but i think it's something to to just like a, a basic like stabilizing kind of just like to to stop the bleeding okay yeah what this will do this is going to be a temporary solution mm-hmm. that will stop him from bleeding out for we'll say like a minute mm-hmm. you know this this is just something that you can do to hopefully give him a, a fighting chance for someone who really knows how to treat someone medically or heal in a divine way. What does this folk magic look like? I think what he's going to do is, oh, what would he have on him right now? Because this this is something he's he's used because, you know, they're working out on a farm, so accidents happen. So it's something that he would have on him regularly to, like, you know, get somebody, kind of get them situated so something can be wrapped or whatnot until they can get to a medical uh, professional, if you will, in this town. I, I did. I do have a pitch. If laid on me this because like I'm trying to think of like the thematic elements that we have at hand like we're trying to deal with blood loss it's folk mm. magic so we want it to be a little spooky and we've got chickens um, as like kind of a primary thematic component for the area so that like chickens 
makes me think of of like voodoo hoodoo practices mm-hmm. uh, a little bit. So I kind of like the idea of a simulacrum uh, of a person, like like a doll or something mm-hmm. that that you carry on you, and what you can do is create an association between the person and the doll and for like a very brief period because it is otherwise a really dramatic and extremely difficult thing to do the doll bleeds for the person which is is like less blood but eventually the doll will be entirely soaked through with blood and the spell will be broken and the person will start bleeding again so how do you establish a connection between hip and and this like kind of medical simulacrum that that you have that like yeah in case somebody's in a field and accidentally like scythes off a finger or whatever mm-hmm. prevents them from dying until you can get them help yeah i think i think what it is is uh and just as another piece of symbolism for the whole thing he uh is making these jo- jokes with with hip but does realize that this is a pretty serious situation with uh you know how much he's bleeding and from where so he 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 is making these jokes and he takes the the doll out and the way it works is you take the blood of whoever you're casting this on and you put it mm-hmm. you take the blood and put it on the area that you want to affect and then cast it there and it it affects the person in real time so he's going to get that blood put it on the area that he sees that that hip is bleeding from and to add to it and he doesn't know if this is gonna gonna work uh or or provide anything extra or not but he is going to pull from his pocket his piece of the flag and he is going to put that on there as well all right. What I'm going to do, I'm not going to call for a roll from this because I, I think I think this isn't where the roll should go. I, I think committing to a thing that is like symbolic of your relationship with this person, taking a kind of local cultural traditional practice into this tense moment. You cast this spell right now. Mm-hmm. I think it is going to take like four strain from you. It's a big spell, but hip no matter what in this fight unless something else happens to him is not going to bleed out okay that's what this does story-wise but after the fight is over kind of immediately you are going to need a response to it okay but that feels like an extremely cool thing like i think you take this doll like we see you grab some of hip's blood like you you dab onto the side on the doll where it is and you can see it isn't like a, a fingerprint of blood that appears, but it looks like a like this doll, which is just stuffed with chicken feathers. It's just a burlap doll that's stuffed with chicken feathers. Looks like it has a real gut wound, like a real gunshot wound that is bleeding from it. And that blood is slowly starting to like move out over the doll. And I think very much to Douglas's horror is it's spreading out over the doll a lot quicker than Douglas would Mm -hmm. like. So you very quickly grab your piece of the flag and then tie it around the doll, kind of like a bandage, and that slows the spread.
Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter over at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. The history of role-playing games is weird and wild, and we here at System Mastery are determined to look through it all. Every heartbreaker that drove a man to bankruptcy to see his vision of D&D with really specific armor maintenance rules come to fruition. Every game where you get increasingly certain as you read it that this is all just one person's weird fetish. Every system that painstakingly recreates how medieval life was really like, and then also you can cast Fireball. The System Mastery Podcast wallows in the filth of RPG history. Come, join us in the muck at System Mastery. You can find more great gaming shows over at OneShotPodcast.com. Like Character Creation Cast. Character Creation Cast is a discussion podcast where Amelia Antrim and Ryan Bulletier create characters in multiple role-playing games with prominent guests from around the game's community. Each month, Character Creation Cast examines the character generation process in-depth in a different game with new guests each series. They always take the time to reflect on the game, its design, and what guests have to say about it. Think of it as sitting in on a great Session Zero every week. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. You can stream his short film, Lining, on the Roku channel for free. Just search for The Shortlist summer. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at Liz Anderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Paired. Travis Matigo was played by Johnny O'Mara, who can be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs, or on his podcasts, Bill Buds and Dilettante Ball. Captain Oromar Vale was played by Nathan Blades, who can be found on Twitter at Phantom Arts ENT. You can also find them streaming on twitch.tv slash theneoncaster. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this podcast was written, composed, and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find him on Twitter over at A-R-N-E-P-A-R-R-O-T-T. You can find more of his work at atptunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony or on his podcast, Neo Scum. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter at Fiona Pup. The World of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists and Illimat, produced by Together Studios. This show uses a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system designed by Sam Stewart and a team of talented professionals who were fired by the private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight Games. And once for our friends near to rise Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind Who know we can never deny The call of the sky